Good morning again, everyone. Good morning. So glad everybody's here. It is finally December. December must mean focus on a few things. I don't know what you're thinking about, but it's cold. Uh, seriously, most of us are thinking about something else during the holidays, as we call them. And I have put up for our study for the next three weeks what I'm calling Promises of the Advent. Promises of the Advent. A lot of religious groups are going to use that term, Advent. It's not a word that's found directly in the Bible. It simply means come to. Come to. So the coming to the earth of Jesus. So whether the word is found in the Bible itself, the topic and the idea and the thrust of the word is a very, very important message from the Bible. So what we're going to do for the next three weeks is we're going to look at Luke chapter 2. That's when the, angel, the angels appear to the shepherds in the field. And there are three separate things, specifically important things, that they tell the shepherds. I call it promises of the advent, promises of the coming of Jesus to the world. So we're going to look at those promises. The fourth Sunday in December is actually Christmas Eve. We'll spend some time there looking at the actual birth of Jesus itself. So we're not doing that for four straight weeks. We're looking at the promises the angels make to the shepherds and then kind of veering off to look at the topic of the promise for the next couple of weeks. The good news of great joy is the topic here this morning. So as I say, it's December and it must mean it's cold. It doesn't mean anything about trees or anything else. But I don't know about you, but I just find it impossible not to think about the birth of Jesus in December. Can't help but hear it when you hear songs in the mall or in the elevator or if the television's on or, you know, heaven forbid, there are Hallmark movies that may be on that you're seeing all of those. Jesus, his birth is a topic that's on people's minds in December. And although it's almost absolutely certain that he was not born in December, I hate to break that to everybody. All the earliest Christians seem to have thought it was in April or May. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. So it was not December 25th. That's a date that's been picked out. I don't care. I'm glad there's a day when a large number of people in our world, in a month, when a good number of people in our world will think about Jesus coming to the earth. And I will take, as our topic today talks about, great joy that people are thinking about Jesus, whatever the reason. If the Apostle Paul in Philippians could be very happy that Jesus was preached regardless of the motive, certainly we can all be happy, and those of us at home can all be happy, that people are thinking about Jesus even if it's because of the celebration of the day that he was born where he probably was not. Right? But let's pretend, for a few weeks anyway, that he was born leading up here to the end of the month. We've talked about the good news of the gospel several times recently. And this month, as I say, we're going to look at Luke 2 and focus on some of the things the angels said. So let's get started. As Howell had read before, the angels said to them, fear not. Don't you think they were shaking in their boots? They're out in the middle of a field and suddenly, I don't know what it looked like, but I would have been shaking in my boots if I had boots on. Fear not, don't be afraid, for I bring you good news. Some translations say glad tidings. I don't know about you, but I don't usually use the word tidings. You know, when's the last time you said the word tidings to somebody at work or in a restaurant? We might say, what's the news? Or what's new? Well, they are bringing good news. 
good news. The good news is Jesus came to the world, lived a perfect life, and died so I would not have to. Can't have any of that without it having first been born, coming into the world, and that's why we're focusing on that. Good news, and this week the focus will be of great joy that shall be for all the people. God intended the arrival of his son, the introduction of his son, the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us, as John says, to be great joy, good news of great joy for everybody. The opportunity to access that joy and live within that joy is available to all people. So as I say, the coming of Jesus, the advent, that's what it means, was to be great news, good news of great joy for everyone. And this great joy started even before Jesus was born. Let's go back to Luke chapter 1. This is when Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary is pregnant with Jesus, comes down south to Judea to visit her relative Elizabeth, her husband Zacharias. Elizabeth is the mother of John, who's called John the Baptist, John the one that was baptizing, John the Immersive. And so when Mary comes into the presence of her relative Elizabeth, who is still apparently pregnant with John, here's what she says. Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, you know, Elizabeth is Mary, right? I assume that's the greeting as she's coming close to the house. When the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Who's the baby in Elizabeth's womb? John greatest born among women prior to the death of Jesus. John, the last of the Old Testament prophets. Before John is born, he responds with joy at being so near to Jesus. Now, if you've had a baby, I have not, if you've had a baby or been around someone who has had a baby, you know full well that babies are sometimes doing flips and acrobatics inside the mother before they're born. You just want to say, calm down in there, right? You can jump around as much as you want once you're out. But they jump around and feel, feel a fist and a foot. Who knows what's going on in there? I don't know what they're doing. This is not merely some sort of random movement or kick because recorded in the Bible, recorded by someone who can tell Mary is pregnant with her Lord, Jesus. She's speaking here through, so who told her that this is, the Lord, the Savior, the Messiah, right? The baby leaped for joy that the unborn Jesus was so near. And that has implications for some of our social debates that go on here in this country. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Before Jesus is even born, John experiences joy at being so near Jesus doesn't stop there. Joy is what God wants us all to have. So let's take a look. In a parable that Jesus tells in Matthew 13, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. Now, stop right there for just a second. Do any of you have treasure buried out in your yard? Raise your hand. I'm not going to take names, but I just want to see. If any of you have treasure buried out in your yard, make sure you sleep well tonight. Okay? <laughs> 
In Nashville, what will happen sometimes, especially over toward Green Hills, is people will come looking for treasure in people's yards, usually Civil War artifacts. The battles had gone on, there were you know, the, the walls that were shot and other things that were uh, shot everywhere. I have friends that live over there and they will tell me from time to time looking up there'll be a hole in the yard where somebody has, has looked for some sort of shell, artillery piece, and they came in. I always think it's like one of those round things they cut holes in the greens for the hole, the, the, the hole on the green. Some kind of round cylinder, they'll go down, they pull up the dirt, apparently they run off with their treasure. Well. We don't bury treasure in the, in the yard. If you do, please change that now that we've talked about it because the secret's out. But in these days, they didn't have big federal savings and banks. There weren't huge vaults. There weren't electronic funds that are hard to steal physically anyway. What they would often do is they would bury things out in the ground, in a field. Now, if you did that, and you put it out there, it's not like you put notes inside your house. My treasure is buried at the northeast corner of the field near the big tree. You didn't do that. It was a secret. Unfortunately, right? Sometimes people would bury treasure and then they would die with no one knowing really where it was. So this is a very common occurrence. If somebody's walking through a field, you might stumble upon where somebody buried a treasure. And it happened so often, the person with the field didn't know it was there and it was considered appropriate that you don't go tell them. That seems kind of a problem to me, right? Can I buy your field? I found a million dollars buried over there in the corner. How much you want for it? Well, what are they going to say? A million dollars, right? That was not considered inappropriate at all in this culture. This is the way things were done. Jesus talking about it says it's a, obviously a, a relatively common thing, and he's not criticizing the man for having done it either. Kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up, right? Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. He does whatever he can do to raise money to buy the field because it's a treasure. Maybe it's a pearl. Maybe it's a giant emerald. Maybe it's where the Hope Diamond came from. I don't know. But he goes and buys the field because he's got joy. Look at what I have found. Maybe you've been looking for some kind of a Hot Wheel on eBay. And so you've been looking for it your whole life. Matt. Maybe you had really wanted that Hot Wheel. And you see it on eBay and you just can't wait until you can try to log in and get that Hot Wheel. You have joy. I found it. That's the joy expressed here. The kingdom of heaven is supposed to be like finding that Hot Wheel. I know I'm making crazy with it. But that Hot Wheel on eBay. Or a great treasure buried in a field. Because when we hear about the kingdom of heaven, it's the greatest treasure of anybody ever find. And it should bring great joy that God entered the world in the form of a baby for me. So Jesus here compares the joy of finding the good news, the news that he came to make salvation available to all, to the joy of finding something very valuable because it is very, very valuable. In Acts 8, verses 5 through 8, Philip went down to the city of Samaria. This is the chapter where Philip encounters the Ethiopian, the first recorded black man who becomes a follower of Jesus in the chariot. This is later on in the chapter. But he goes to the city of Samaria. Samaria, that was the capital city of Samaria, the middle portion of the land between Galilee and Judea. And he went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. He talked about the Messiah. He talked about Jesus. 
And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said. Hopefully, hopefully I haven't lost all of you just yet. Hopefully people pay attention when somebody's trying to help talk about things. They paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. Unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many people who had them, and many who were paralyzed or the lame were healed. Now, I will not be doing any of that today. I can't do any of that today. But we're talking about the good news. So there was much joy in the city. Well, think about that. People were being healed of diseases or unclean spirits or were able to walk who had been paralyzed, and they heard Jesus came to bring great joy. And they felt the joy, the joy of people being made well, paying attention to the things said by Philip, hearing the good news. What is this joy from? It's all a process, part of the process of the coming of the gospel, the good news about Jesus. Back to Matthew 13, another parable that Jesus said. This is the parable, sometimes it's called the parable of the sower, or really it's a focus more on the soils that the seed falls on than it is the man throwing the seed. But whatever we want to call it, in the middle of it, it says, what was sown on rocky ground, as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. The, the seed thrown on the rocky ground, the seed may sprout rather quickly, but there's a problem. It has great joy. Somebody may hear the good news and think, this is fabulous. And then they run into trouble. Because as Jesus says, yet he has no root in himself. Someone hears the word, the good news about Jesus, the gospel, with great joy, but he has no root. He doesn't have any foundation. He doesn't really have a lot of knowledge. He hasn't learned. He hasn't had a chance to study. Somebody hasn't taught him. He endures for a while. I mean, a little seedling may grow with a whole lot of rocks around it, but it's tough to take good root. And so when heat comes or a lack of rain comes or it falls on the rocky ground with it. Same thing can happen to people. The one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, but not having any root in himself, he endures for a while, but when tribulation, some kind of trouble, trial, some kind of problem happens in life, or persecution arises on account of the word, he immediately falls away, just like the little seedling that as soon as it's no rain for two weeks, we had some of that this summer, kind of just shrivels up. You see that happen? Hearing the word should bring joy. And it does bring joy for many people. But it can go away if we don't spend the time <clears throat> to become grounded in our faith and learn what is really involved in following Jesus. We don't know everything on the first day. And sometimes people become Christians and then they just fall away. Galatians 5, we spent a lot of time with this last year, looking at the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such thing there is no law. You see that second one? Joy. The first thing that really ought to come from the Spirit living within us is love. God is love, and when God dwells within me, when the Spirit dwells within me as that down payment, if you will, of what's to come in the future. That's what Paul calls it. Love, and as soon as I experience the love of God and the love of brothers and sisters, that ought to bring joy out of my heart. Again, when you look at this list, sometimes somebody says, 
I need to work more on patience. You don't have this list and think, I need, I have problems with some of these. Some of these aren't as much my fruit that I generate. You don't solve those problems by working on patience. You solve these kind of problems by focusing on God and the Spirit <clears throat> living within you. Because those things that come out, these characteristics, are fruit that are growing from the Spirit living within us. And we talked about that, as I say, a good bit in the past. The joy from believing comes from the Spirit living within us. Paul says, don't you know that the Spirit of God dwells within you? How then can we not live for Him? How can we go back and walk the way we used to? How can we have partake in deeds of the flesh when we ought to be doing the things of the Spirit? We should produce these fruits, love, joy, peace, as the Spirit lives within us. That's where joy comes from. All again, part of Jesus coming into the world and us following after him. Romans 15, 13, toward the end of Paul's writing to uh, people in Rome. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. And again, with the Spirit living within us, having hope for the future, it should fill us with joy and peace. Why? Because as Paul says, you believe in Jesus. You know, if I'm not feeling joyful, and some people aren't, especially some people don't seem to be filled with joy or feeling joyful this time of the year, it's so sad. One of the times it ought to be very joyful, some people really get into a, a funk in this time of the year. Joy shouldn't come from truly holidays, shouldn't come from uh, other people. Joy ought to come from within, as a follower of Jesus, as a member of God's family, where I put my life into God's hands, I begin living for Him. And when we become members of God's family, as, as Peter said in Acts 2, once we are immersed, once we die to our old ways and are raised to walk in newness of life, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Somehow or other, I can't explain it, the Spirit dwells within me and ought to be producing fruit of somebody who's changed, somebody who's different. So as I say, if you're not showing patience, that doesn't mean you need to go get the latest self-help book on patience, and I got to work on patience, I need to get patience figured out right now. I need to focus on why my life is not overlaid with what God wants me to be, for there to be some kind of difference, some fruit that's not coming out of my heart. Hope and joy, they go together. Hope for the future. Hope of going home to live with God should generate joy in our lives. And joy is not merely within us, right? There, it should come from without, from within inside. But it also comes about in heaven itself. You may have probably heard this one. This is in the, the great series of parables, including what's been called the greatest short story ever told, that of the prodigal son. But before that, we get to what man of you or which of you... <clears throat> Having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that's lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. What was lost is now found. When he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Look at what Jesus says he's talking about. Just so I tell you, there'll be more joy in heaven 
for the one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Does that say God's not joyful if you're a righteous person who's living for him? Not at all. But there's tremendous joy when somebody goes from here and crosses that line and becomes a member of God's family. A sinner who turns away, quits walking away from God and walks back to God. So there's joy within us, but there's joy in heaven. God rejoices when somebody who's either been a member of his family and started turning away from him, hasn't been following after him, hasn't been living the way he wants him to live, and turns back. For somebody who leaves the world and becomes a member of his family in the first place. You know, joy in heaven. Joy in heaven when people come to God. Most people, I've seen it, when they come to God, when they want to be baptized, when they want to become a member of God's family, there are often a lot of tears of joy in the face and the, and the outlook of the person who's finding God for the first time. There's joy here, but there's joy where God is as well. Matthew 25. This is a parable of the talents where the ruler's leaving and he leaves behind certain gifts and says, use them while I'm gone. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more. He had a 100% return over some indefinite period of time. I used to tell my finance students over at Lipscomb, what God requires, sorry to get finance technical here this morning, but what God requires is a non-zero rate of return. It's 100%, but that 100% could have been over one year, could have been over 10 years, could have been over 50 years. God wants return. He wants us to talk about Jesus. Any return is not zero. The one that had zero return does not find joy in this parable. So here's what it says. He who had received five talents came forward, bringing five more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents, and here I've made five talents more. His master said to him, well done, good job. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been serving over a little, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. What did this man do to generate five more talents with what he had been given? I don't know. He did something. Each of us has been given a gift. We have certain abilities. We have certain talents. What God wants us to do is to find a way to use the gifts that we have, whether it's a gift of encouragement, a gift of prayer. Some people have the gift of speaking. I mean, some people have gab and they won't get to their point and sit down. But there's different gifts we all have. Find something you can do and use the abilities you have for God. That's what he wants us to do. Some encourage, some pray, some work behind the scenes. Do something with what God has given us for God. That's what the point of that story is. And the reward, the welcome will be joy given to us from the Master. And we're going to share that joy when we go home to live with God. Toward the end now, looking at Jude 24, 25. There aren't any chapters in Jude, just one chapter. At the very end of it has one of these great uh, benedictions and one of these great closing statements. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, who is that? God. God is the one who is able to keep us. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. 
That day when we go to stand before God is not going to be a day of fear and trembling for members of his family. You become a member of his family, grace enters the picture. And grace, as John says in 1 John, grace continues to cleanse us from our sins if we walk in the light as he is in the light. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to sin. John says the blood of Jesus will continue to cleanse you if you're a member of his family and you're striving to walk in the light despite the mistakes you make. That will be great joy to members of his family. To the only God, our Savior, Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. You're feeling sometime, you want to get revved up, this is a great closing thing to read. Praise to God throughout all time and eternity. After love, God is love. After love, which we ought to have as we start to become more God-like, joy ought to be probably the second one. Joy is associated with God so often. Joy and love go together. God loves us. That ought to make us joyful. That ought to have us be full of joy. Joy is around God all the time. It ought to be around us. Get up on the wrong side of the bed. Get back in the bed. Get up on the other side. Come out of it joyful. Let's be sure that that joy is around us each and every day. So in closing, look back again at Luke 2, verse 10. The angel said to them, to the shepherds, Don't be afraid, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. <clears throat> that joy is for you and that joy is for me. That joy is for people outside this building. That joy is for people in our town, our state, our nation, in the world. It was for everyone. Why do we have that joy? Why should we have that joy? God sent his son, Jesus, to seek and save the lost. You and me, everybody. There is no one who's excluded from that. Joy will fill you and will fill heaven when you return to God. We all have sinned. We do. You think you haven't sinned? Think harder. Right? We all have sinned in our lives. Some of us are forgiven. What can wash away our sin? Only one thing. Only one Jesus can wash away our sin. As we've seen that very idea in the song here. If there's anything we can do to help, whether you're looking for prayer or whether you need to come to God, this is your time. Have joy today as we stand and sing.